Let's read one verse for our uh, uh, lesson today at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. God bless his word to you, his people. I want to speak to you this morning a few minutes on building character with God's grace. Character is a great part of the human life, present and future. We think about life, we get a thought, we have an action, and we have a habit. And our habits in life form our character, and our character guides our destiny. Your destiny will be will come to you in direct power of your habits. We have to form habits to form a good destiny, and you have to form habits to have a good character. And your character can only be formed as you form it with the blessings and the anointing of Almighty God. We cannot build character in our own strength and our own wisdom. God has placed us in this world and we all have varieties of different kinds of things that we can do. He has placed us here and we can't change our fathers and our mothers. But what we can change, if you want to make some changes, is what you would like to do with your life. You can change that. Many times I had a wonderful father and mother, and many of you did, and we should honor them. And sometimes you run into people that say they, their mother and father wasn't very good to them. But the thing we have to decide is we know who we are. We know where we, where we are in life. We have to decide where you want to go with your life. What do you want to do with your life? And it's only through the grace of God that I can do anything good for the Lord and you could do anything good for the Lord. The grace of God is always ready and willing to help us. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved, not of your works, lest you should boast. So we need to realize this morning as human beings, God's grace is poured out upon us because he loves you. And no matter how good looking you may be, you may not be in the beauty contest. I've never been in one myself. But you can't look yourself in the mirror in the morning and say, whatever your name is, I love you. And this thing, I'm going to make you a better person. I'm going, to, I'm going to travel in a better way. So you decide that you want to do that. And the best way to do that is to let Jesus Christ be the director of your life. Let him, let's franchise with him. When you, when you decide to do that, he, he's a good coach. He's a, it's a tough taskmaster, but he's a great coach. And if you ride with him and he coaches your life, you will win. My grandson is here with me this morning, and also my son and my beautiful granddaughter-in-law. But Trace and I were saying the other day, we'd give anything to know what the coach of Autumn told those football players at halftime. 
We'd give anything to know that because he told them something that was absolutely powerful and life-changing. I don't know how many of you watched the football game, and I watched it with Trace, and it was a marvelous thing when they came out in the second half, how those boys from Autumn began to really play. Something changed their life in that first half. Well, my friends, when you meet Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, you may have felt defeated and battled and bruised, but you can stand to your full height and you can know that he's going to guide you and direct you. And he's a great coach. And he's been coaching my life for more than 60 years. And I thank God for the night that I accepted him as my personal savior and my friend and my coach. Because I did not know how to run the life of Gardner Altman. I had made a real good mess of it. And my friends today, we can, we can grow with great change, with the power of God's grace. I was at the station down in Haymont the other day in the oil change of my car, and I picked up an old-time magazine. It had been laying there for weeks, and I decided to read the life story of Michael Landon. Michael Landon was born with a Jewish father and a Catholic mother. They had divided religion. He grew up to be a, a strong young man. He threw a javelin the farthest anybody ever thrown one, and that brought him into sports. But in his lifestyle, he played in, you, you remember that, uh, Little Joe on Bonanza. He played with uh, Little House on the Prairie with uh, Jonathan. And then he played in Highway to Heaven with Jonathan Smith. I'm sorry, it was Charles England, his name, and he played Little House on the Prairie. But the moral of the story was he had a great life according to the world. He had lots of fun. But I'm here to tell you this morning, if you live your life just for fun, you'll come up short. We need to live our lives for character, not fun. It's okay to have some fun. But if you live just for fun, he said in his life story, he was married three times. Had nine children, three sets of children. He said in his life story, in the end of his life, I believe in God, but I do not believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Well, that nullifies everything he said about believing in God, because Jesus said, I am the Son of God, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the door. There's no way to heaven, he said, except by me. So we accept that today as Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and we believe that, we lean upon it, we draw upon it in our life. The Bible will guide you. I believe that Jesus was the Son of God. I believe he died on the cross of Calvary. I believe he rose out of the grave the third day, as he said. I believe he walked around and talked with people. So we have to believe that he was the Son of God. So all of his faith was gone when he denied Jesus being the Son of God as far as the New Testament is concerned. So today we want to realize it isn't how glamorous you look, how high you may able to jump, how, what a great sportsman you may be, that it has nothing. But when you come to the end of your way in your life and you have no character, you haven't leaned upon the grace of God, in the eyes of God, you are a complete failure. I've held the hands of a chaplain Chapel Hill many years ago for a year and a half. I served on the Heart Ward and the 
cancer ward and the surgical ward the three semesters I was there. I have the hands of many, many, many dying men. And most all those men dying and women, they wanted me to read them the 23rd Psalm and pray with them. I've had the hands of a couple that I said to them, you need to wait on your surgery. You don't need to take it today. Now you, you're feeling, they said, I'm feeling pretty calm. And your sheet was waving like the wind was under it. I said, if you're calm, why is the sheet shaking so much? What's shaking those sheets? Because I was 57 years old when I served there. I wasn't a kid. So I said, listen, my friends, I think it'd be better for you to wait till tomorrow for your surgery. And I talked to Dr. Johnson, the head surgeon. He said, I was the only chap I ever talked to him about changing their surgery. The only one. Well, I said, my friend, I'm here not only just to act like a chap and walk around and hold hands. And he's a great man from Duplin County, a great, great and wonderful man. I'm here to see that these people go to heaven, not to hell. Oh, he said, I never hear much about hell, Chapman Altman. Of course you don't. Nobody likes hell. <laughs> Who wants to go around and talk about hell? That's a terrible subject. Now, heaven's a wonderful subject. So when you, when you really get down to the nitty-gritty, where the rubber hits the road, we all want to go to heaven. There's not anybody in this church this morning doesn't want to go to heaven. So we go to heaven by planning to go to heaven by the grace of God. You've got to plan to go. And you plan to go by simply getting under the umbrella of the grace of God. It's simple. James said we need discipline, James 1.4. God knows what's best for you and best for me. He knows that. So this morning, we choose where we're going to go. We choose our destiny by choosing our character and our habits. We choose those. All of us have choice. He knows how to form our destiny. He said, well, how do you get started, Pastor Alvin? Number one, you are born by the Spirit of God. You're born again, John 3, 3, and 3, 7, as Jesus talked to Nicodemus. Number two, you get justified by the grace of God. And Paul said in, in Romans, beautiful verse here, he said, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to have justification, you get it through, you have peace with God. And my friends, without peace with God, it's a, life is tough. You can have peace with God. We need to let the Lord help us to find this marvelous peace that we need that we're looking for. If you haven't, if I don't know about you, but I never in my life knew peace until I met Jesus. I had a wonderful wife, two wonderful children, two beautiful cars, a nice home, a lot of debts on both the cars and the house, but I didn't know peace. Didn't know peace. But the night I was born again in an old tent meeting in Dunn, North Carolina, and I said, Jesus, I accept you as my personal Savior. I was the autumn one one minute. I accept you to run my life and direct it. I found peace for the first time in my life. I found what Paul talked about in Romans 5.1. I found the peace of God and his marvelous love. 
So my friends, this morning, we need that marvelous peace. Then you need sanctification by the word. And we need to stay in the word of God and read it. Read it constantly till it speaks to you. And that is sanctify you daily. And once you get that, then you'll be able to be adopted. It's a marvelous thing. God will adopt you in the family of God, Romans 8, 23. And once you get adopted in the family of God, you've been born again. You found peace with the Lord through justification. You found sanctification through the word and your habits. And then you get adopted. Now, when you're adopted in the family of God, it is very difficult for the devil to prize you out. There are some that will be lost, but not many. I wrote a paper when I was in seminary on you could be lost in a Baptist seminary where everybody believed you had eternal security. And I wrote it on that and presented it to the class. But listen, and that's in Hebrews 6, chapter 6, verses 4. But once we adopt it in the family of God, the Holy Spirit goes with you and gets the grace of God around you. He's walking down when sometimes not all of us don't always walk. I think perhaps Pastor Mark may have, since he's about 12 years old, in the grace of God. But I'm telling you, all of us have not walked. You please excuse me. I never took water when I was <clears throat> preaching early, but now my throat gets dry. But the grace of God comes upon us as we walk in the Spirit of God by faith. You'd get the grace of God. And the grace of God is extended to you many times when you don't deserve it. Many times when I don't deserve it. None of us can stand up this morning in this church and say, I have always walked the straight and narrow way and I've always deserved the grace of God. I haven't met anybody in private told me that. Now, I've seen people act that way in public. And those people are very difficult to hang out with. You know, it's really hard to hang out with a perfect person. They have no thoughts. They have no sins. They have no bad habits. It's perfect. They're hard to hang out with. But most of us will agree together as a group or individually or as a church that we need God's grace. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us and protect us. You know, the church is a bride of Christ. If you read the book of Revelation, we are the bride of Christ this morning. And so when you come in the family of God, you get more than your name written in the book of life. You get the the grace of God to travel with you on the journey of life as you travel this journey. When I think about the grace traveling with us, I think about Eliza when he went to get Rebecca to marry Isaac. And she was hum-hawing around Bacon water when she should leave and her family said, you need to stay a little longer with us, read the story. But he, he said to her, let her speak for herself. And she said, I will go. When she said, I will go, he took her hand and led her to a nice, beautiful cowboy, set her on it. Then he had men on the right side, men on the left side, men behind her, and he was leading the way. Her journey was wonderful. It was protected because God had ordained that. And my friends, this morning, as we travel on the journey of life, sometimes we get into pitfalls. We have bumps in the road. We have many things happen to us. But once we know that that Eliza, the Holy Spirit, 
it's the third person of God. It is guiding us and protecting us. We can go through great and marvelous dangers. Paul said, I reckon this present day suffering cannot be compared to what I shall see when I see Jesus. Can't compare it, he said. Now you look back over your life and sometimes life, you've had sorrows in life. You've lost loved ones. Sometimes you've had people that were sick and they suffered great pain. That's tough. But all through the sorrows of loss and suffering and pain, the Holy Spirit has been with us to guide us and direct us in our lives. All the time, he is with us. We need to make ourselves available. It's a song that he was leading us in this morning. We are saved because he has saved us and taken our sins away and, and guiding us. A wonderful, uh, Joshua, the music was wonderful this morning. I think it, I thought as I was listening and not singing, which I don't sing very well, but humming along with you, it's a wonderful thing to have the worship of the Spirit flowing in the worship service. We thank God for that. All of us should thank God. I've been in services where there was nothing flowing about anything. And I just hardly couldn't wait to get up and go get my chicken. <laughs> and I've had, I've, had, I've had services like that. And then I've been in great services where I enjoyed. I, I do Brother jo- Joshua and the people that sing with him and Pastor Mark is wonderful preaching. We enjoy that. But we need to understand that <clears throat> life is not always pleasant. When Joseph was a little boy, his mother Rachel died in childbirth with Benjamin. And Joseph had a sad, sad little boy's life. Leah, his stepmother, and his aunt, and she was both of those, she tried to encourage Joseph. And Jacob put gifts on Joseph and built him up and made him so great his brothers hated him. Excuse me. This young Joseph, he, he had a very difficult life. <clears throat> I've counseled lots of people in my ministry. And most young people that have lost their mother when they were young, very young, had a very difficult time adjusting to life. Very difficult time. So it's important for us to recognize when we have, we have been blessed with our mothers to be with us, that we, we mature and get older. That is a wonderful blessing. Joseph did not have that. He had a sad boyhood life. And his father made it up to him by giving him gifts and Benjamin gifts and the other brothers didn't like him. And Joseph went down to see the brothers one day and they said, here comes this dreamer with his coat of many colors. Let's just kill him. But his brothers went up and said, no, let's don't kill Joseph. So some travelers came along and they said, let's sell him. So they sold Joseph. And he carried him down into Egypt. And he was there a little while. Pharaoh saw him and bought him. He was about 17 years old. Part of he carried him to his house and made Joseph head of the whole outfit over there. And Joseph was doing real well. He was about 17 years old, very good-looking young guy. But all of a sudden, this man's wife took a liking to Joseph. And she said, Joseph, come and lie with me. I'll send all the servants out and nobody in the house but us. Come and lie with me. Now, a lot of 17-year-old kids would have thought that was a wonderful blessing. 
They thought that was really a great day for them. But Joseph knew that, he, Joseph said, he's given me everything but you. And I can't do that. She said, come on, Joseph, come on. But he wouldn't do it. And she took his coat and grabbed it, and he ran out of the house. And she had, began to holler, rape, rape. And they put him in prison. And he stayed in prison a long time. Stayed in prison, actually, altogether about 13 years. But the 11th year he was in prison. The baker and the butler had a dream. They couldn't get anybody interpreted. So Joseph interpreted and said to the baker, you're going to die. They're going to hang you up on a tree out here and the bird's going to eat your flesh off your bones. You're going to have a terrible death. That wasn't a good day for the baker, was it? It was a bad day for him. Terrible day. But he said to the butler, now you're going to be restored in the palace. You're going back to the palace. But said, when you get in the palace, please remember me. Get me released from here. And the old butler said, thank you, Joseph. And he went on back to the palace and never mentioned Joseph. He forgot about him. Now in life, as you travel through life from a teenager till you get to be older, you'll have people sometimes, they'll just drop you like a hot potato. They'll just drop you. Your friends will run off and leave you. You wonder why the people you met in high school and college, they don't, they don't seem to call you anymore. Well, that's life. So it was with Joseph. The butler just got up there and enjoyed the palace, drinking wine, enjoying himself. Didn't think about Joseph at all. About a couple of years later, Pharaoh had a dream. He couldn't get anybody to interpret his dream. And the butler said, oh, by the way, I remember a young guy, Hebrew boy, back in prison. There's an interpreter. He would probably help you out with that. Was well, it go get him? And he came in. The king told him, "said I had a terrible dream." He said, "I dreamed of seven beautiful, fat cows. They were beautiful cows, and then seven ugly, lean cows came and ate them up. Had some corn stalks that were beautiful, and old ugly stalks ate them up. What does that mean?" And Joseph said, "God gives interpretation." He didn't say, oh, yeah, I can take care of that. You know, I learned through life, my friends, that when somebody asked me a question when I was 17 or 18 years old, I could give them an answer like that. Didn't take me any time to tell them all the answers. When I was about 45 years old, been in this church here, going through a real tough time at times, they asked me a question, I'd say, let me have a, a three or four days to think about that. Now when they ask me a question, I'll say, I'll get back with you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> see me in about two weeks, and I'll see if I can help you. But you know, when we were 17 or 18 years old, I thought my dad should turn all of his business over to me. And just sit back and smoke cigars and drink water or lemonade and let me run everything. But I learned as I get older that my dad was very smart. He's a very smart farmer and a very smart businessman. So we have, we, have, we have learned through life as we grow in grace and we grow in mercy. We need the grace of God. But how do we get the grace of God in our life? Like Joseph. He didn't say, yes, I got the answer. Let me have time. He said, God gives the interpretation. God gives all of that to you. We get the grace of God by understanding the gift of God. 
by understanding the glory of God, and then we get the grace of God. And once we get the grace of God, we come into fulfillment by these powers. Paul said we'll grow in grace and love and reach the fulfillment of our life in perfection. He didn't start out overnight. Joseph didn't get there until he got in prison and he had time to think about it and open his mind. He had the gift of interpretation all the time. But in prison, in his suffering, he was able to think. Most of us in life don't spend enough time thinking. We spend time doing other things. But you need to take some time and take the Bible and sit down and read it and read all the scriptures in the Bible where the grace of God was applied to men's life like Abraham and Joshua, Caleb, all these great men we read about, how God's grace. How do you think Caleb and Joshua marched around in the wilderness for 40 years and then complained to his other friends it wouldn't go? It was a grace of God. It was a gift of God. It was the glory of God. Kept those guys in right thinking. Joshua and Caleb. And this is the same thing that kept Joseph in his right thinking. He meditated upon the grace of God and the gift of God and the glory of God in his gift. And it brought him into the fullness of God. We get brought into the fullness of God by understanding all this is a gift. We can't earn it. We understand the glory of God falls upon our lives. It's a wonderful gift. Then we look at all that and think about this. This is God's grace. This is what he promised us. So many of us, we don't enjoy the grace of God because we find ourselves complaining about the situation we're in. You have got to get to the place in your life, and I've had to be that way myself. And I had to, my wife died a year and a half ago. I prayed couple, three weeks, I was very, very frustrated. But I began to pray for God to show me something good. And I encourage each of you to do the same thing. When you get into a tough place, you know what's going on. Sometimes you get confused. Lord, just pray. Help me, God, see some good in this. What's going to come out of this good? Help me to, to yield to you. Help me to be submissive to you. Help me, Lord, to see the good of it. So finally, the Lord showed me. And so he'll do the same for you. God is no respect to a person. He doesn't love any of us in this church more than he loves the other one. We get all the grace and the gifts of God and the mercy of God because we love him and worship him and submit to his will through his grace. And once you do that, then you'll find that his grace flows to you, whoever you are. And then Joseph found in this situation, when he was there standing, Pharaoh, he said, God it gives the increase. God gives a gift. So he told him, he said, there's going to be seven good years of everything. There's going to be seven years of famine of very little, much of nothing. And you need to find a man of wisdom and the spirit of God and very discreet to handle this for you. And he said, where can I find such a man? Joseph just stood still, was quiet. You think, oh, I know, he said, you could do that for me. Well, he said, I guess I could. 
Who do you think Joseph was talking about all the time? Himself. All the time. All the characteristics he pointed out that he, they needed, Joseph had them. He just stopped talking. I've told many people in teaching seminars on selling, or even, even sometimes preaching or giving altar calls, and I've worked with many ministers, that when you give your message that God has given you, get quiet. A lot of people, have, God has given a 22-minute message or a 30-minute message trying to preach 40 minutes, and, and that's no good. When you give what God has given you, then get quiet. Joseph said, this is what you need. And he said, oh, you could do that for me. And my friend Joseph was able to come into the fullness of God, in the unity of God, by the grace of God. That's how we get into unity with God. Why we get on the rail with God. We need to understand that it's God's mercy and God's love that brings us to this place. And he could have been, Joseph could have been sad and said, well, you know, I lost my mother. He could have been sad about his brothers hating him. He could have been sad about the butler forgetting him. And that would have hindered him from being in touch with God so he could interpret the dream. When we color our minds with doubt and fear and things that have hurt us, you, you eliminate, you, you block yourself from being, moving and flowing into God's gifts, God's glory, and God's grace. You don't want to do that. Now, I don't know what your condition is this morning, but you don't want to do that. But you move into God's grace so you can get into God's fullness and his blessings. Because you want that. We all want to have God's blessings. And if you read history of men... Our brother spoke of Abraham this morning as he was receiving the offering, which is very good. You can go back and look at all these people in the Bible that God blessed and God prospered and God took care of. All of them found ways to praise God. Every one of them. They praised God. They didn't find ways to complain at God. He could have named being put in prison. He could have named his mother dying. He could have met it, but he didn't do that. He talked about the goodness of God. Of God, So I encourage you this morning, talk about, think about the good things. Many times people come to me for counseling, and some of you are sitting in here know this, so don't, don't raise your hand, please. I tell everybody this, it's not just, uh, everyone, it's everybody. Take a sheet of paper and write down all the good things you think about your husband or your wife or your children. Write all the good things down you can think about. And then turn it over on his backside and write the, the bad things. And you know, every time we'll have 15 or 16 good things, three or four bad things. Well, I say, oh, you've got a wonderful passing grade. You've got 80% positive. You get your low B out of that if you're in college. And then they laugh. And you know, look, we look at things when we get somebody to help us sort it out. We see things not near as bad as we thought they were. See, we think they're bad. Someone to me said the other day, I'm, I'm just broke. I said, well, it isn't a disgrace to be broke, but it's somewhat inconvenient. <laughs> somewhat inconvenient. So just don't, don't think it should be a disgrace, but pray and find a way you can get a job or a better job or do something. 
And I've known, I've known from the bottom up myself, all the way up from going up on a farm, cutting wood and selling it on a Saturday to people for support downtown. They couldn't buy coal. I know what I'm talking about. Think about what you do. Think about grace and gifts and goodness and begin to mold that into your life and put it into your thinking, your character, and let your character be built upon positive thinking. This is not no one Vincent appeal I'm talking. I'm talking about life. You, you can't always use everything Norman Vincent Peale wrote. I read all of his books, and we can't use them all, but we can use this book, always. When you read Brother Joel Osteen's, I got three of his books. I read them. They're good books. They're all sort of on positive thinking, very little of the gospel in them. But the Bible will guide you, and I like, I knew Joel's father personally, John, good man. Joel's a great guy, motivational speaker. But if I had to choose somebody to preach to me all the time, I'd take Pastor Mark, and I've told him this privately, over Joel. That's true. I would. In this church, if we keep working and growing, and all that we do keep doing, fill up the balcony, and finish that, it's going to be great. Why? Because the grace of God is going to flow on you. It's going to flow on him and Sister Kim, and we're going to have grace and Love and good things are going to come to us because we are together. We love one another. You, and so we need to realize this morning we can build our characters on the Spirit of God and the grace of God and the gift of God. And there may be things in your life this morning, some of you, that are holding you back. Don't hold on to those things. Let go. I read a story several years ago, and I read it again this past week about a mountain climber. I shared this with my grandson. He's climbed mountains some, and I, I'd ever climb anything bigger than a hill, and I'd jump off on myself. <laughs> so I'd get on it out on those mountains. Just a little hill. Little one. But some people climb mountains, and that's all right if they know how to climb mountains. I don't know how to climb them. But I do know how to climb a hill, jump off of that. I stay with the hill. But I read this story about this mountain climber coming down, and he, he got into a terrible storm, rain and sleet. It's a true story. Rain and sleet and ice, and he had to come down. So he was climbing down on his rope, and before he got to the ground, the rope gave out. It was just, he didn't know how far he was from the ground. And he heard a voice saying, let go. And he held on tighter. And he heard another voice say, let go, turn loose and let go. Held on tighter. He wouldn't let go of the rope that was holding him in the storm. So what he did, he stayed there. And the next morning they came out of the mountains. And he was hanging 10 feet from the ground, froze to death. Just 10 feet from the ground. The voice said, let go. So this morning, my friends, I want to say to you, whatever kind of thing you're going through, let go and drop on the altar with Jesus. Let it go. And let Jesus take you and lead you. Hold his hand. Through all the storms of my life and all the sufferings of my life, I've always put up my hand and said, Jesus, don't let go of my hand. And I can tell you the gospel truth on this Bible, the things I've gone through in life, and that's what many of them have been tough, I've always felt the presence of God. And I always knew with his grace, 
and his presence, I was going to come out all right. Not because our guard was good. None of us are good, the Bible says. But because of holding to his hand. Holding to his hand. I encourage you this morning, whatever rope you're holding on to that's holding you back from getting everything right with Jesus, let it go. Let it go. And come to him in humbleness. He'll forgive you. He'll forget it. And you have a brand new life.